Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 219, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, what happens when you pay teachers based on quality? We'll take a look at two cities that have been trying to do just that. Stay with us. podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, our guest tells us how schools can use mindfulness rather than detention when it comes to disciplining children. Can it work? Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, director of curriculum and instruction, and co-host of this podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? It, I'm actually fine. And that, that's a weird way to say it. I don't want to tell you, oh, my God, everything is fabulous. I'm not a liar. It's, it's a tough time of the year, but um, and I'm extremely busy, but I'm also extremely grateful to be alive. So, Well, hey. you, you were foreshadowing in our last episode. You were like, all right, we're headed into the break, and then I got, I've got... Uh, test on the other side and as a curriculum director this is how you know measured and i could feel the the weight on your shoulders uh so you're in the thick of things now or wrapping up tests all as well i guess oh we're in the thick of things um really testing season kicked off a couple of weeks ago um but we're really going to be hitting it hard this week um but along with that you have all of the end of year um activities events requirements deadlines paperwork budgets um close out hiring I'm trying to make sure we fill all of our teaching positions. And um, I'm also planning a summer professional development institute for our teachers that's right on the back end um, after their last day of, of working so that we can pull back from, you know, really overwhelming them at the very beginning because that's what happens during in the first few in-service days. There's so much professional development. Teachers have little time to really um, collaborate and plan in their building. So we just have so much about to happen um, in the next 45 days. And I feel the pressure just because I put pressure on myself. I'm an overachiever. <laughs> you yeah, know how you that are. goes. Yeah. And um, when I reflect on all that we've uh, accomplished this year as a district and just hoping that it it, it shows up in our um, student achievement. And you're still what, I guess? three, four months from even seeing those scores, right? That's kind of how that works. Typically. True. Generally around June the 30th, we might get some raw scores, but um, come July, we, we get some pretty concrete information. Gotcha. Well, uh, you were talking about hiring teachers and recruitment kind of leads into our topic today, which is from a story I saw online out of EdSurge. Uh, the headline for the story is two cities pay teachers based on their quality. Does it work? Question mark. And um, they highlight... Dallas and Washington, D.C., which both for several years have been paying teachers at least somewhat offering bonuses um, based off of, quote, quality. And then I'm sure you're probably thinking, what does that mean? But uh, right. before we dive into what that means in each specific district, give me your general thoughts about the idea of that. 
Well, when we talk about teacher quality, there's so many ways to look at that. We could talk about the qualitative indicators from classroom observations, um, from development, collaboration, um, and teacher support, or we can literally make it flat and, and have it quantitative and looking at um, their quality being based on test scores. And so then when you do that, I think we, we have, may have to talk about, um, as usual, equity uh, and fairness in that way. Yeah, I mean, whenever I heard this idea, and it's, I guess it started floating around 20 years ago, uh, maybe even before then, but that's when I first heard about it, about 20 years ago, I kind of thought, well, if it's based off of scores, then every teacher is going to be jockeying for the kids who they think will do well on test, right? Like, I mean, and then, then there were the higher performing, higher IQ, better district or better school mm-hmm. system. And then they would buddy up with the principal and try to make sure they get those students. Like, am I overthinking that with, or do you, you're that, not, okay. you're not overthinking it. Um, it would definitely deter, um, some of the best teachers from serving the most under, underserved, um, you know, high poverty students. Right. And, and I mean, that's the whole point of public schools to make sure we get everyone. And so mm-hmm. I, you wouldn't want to kind of, you know, go against that mission, I guess. Um, so that was my general impression when I heard about it. But I figured, well, let's take a look at what Dallas and Washington, D.C. are doing. And then I'm really intrigued um, to hear just what they consider quality right. to me. And, and I'm not a, a representative for either district. And I'm sure there's probably a lot more nuance in here, but I'll, I'll work off with what the article says. Dallas Teacher Excellence Initiative measures teacher quality based on student achievement scores, teacher performance, and student experience surveys. It says, these three categories are weighted differently in recognition of the differences between different subjects and grade levels, but teacher performance always makes up at least half of the measurement, and student experience makes up the smallest portion. Okay? And it says, teacher performance is judged on a 19-point rubric that includes factors like Preparedness, classroom culture and collaboration, Mm -hmm. student achievement is scored based on test scores and individual improvement. And I guess that there must be like a survey or something as for student experience. But that is well-rounded. You see, you're talking about what's happening in that classroom um, as the teacher facilitator, is the teacher a dictator, are students engaged, are students learning, what evidence is of learning, and then that evidence, is it showing up and yielding progress according to test scores? So to me, that's very well-rounded. Um, definitely, probably, um, they're using student surveys to get, you know, to test the, the culture and climate of the classroom, but I also wonder about the principal input, how much does it way who's completing their surveys or assistant principals involved do parents have any say um you know in it and is it only what about the teachers who are teaching subject areas that do not have um standardized testing right and that, that's those are all good questions and i don't have to answer answers for all that when i hear teacher performance is judged on a 19 point rubric i think wow that's hard to execute probably i don't know i mean it yeah. just seems like somebody and it's a person who is subjective is having to go through and score this whole thing for each and every teacher. Um, But in the scoring, I suspect that they are using multiple measures throughout the year to get to a summative score mm -hmm. to base that on their pay. Now, what's important about, you know, the idea of paying extra for teachers based on their quality is how does it affect retention? And it says data from before the pandemic indicates the district was able to retain more than 95% of its most proficient teachers. Those teachers also received 
bigger pay boost than other teachers, yet many of those high-performing teachers are clustered in already high-achieving schools. Um, so there goes the disparity. <laughs> right, exactly. I, and, I, and I think that was their point there. Okay, so hearing how Dallas does it, and like I said, this is a snapshot. We don't have a representative of Dallas on here. Does that make you feel now, any let me better tell you, about it? Um, no. It doesn't. And I just want you to know that I began my teaching career in the Dallas Independent School District. Okay. Um, and it's a very large school district. And there are, you know, areas that where the poverty, poverty is different, um, socioeconomic status, all of that. Right. And then I think that because it's so large, I would want to see all of their results um, from each area. It's such a large district that they, ha- that they have areas, districts, okay? Mm-hmm. I would want to see how the area districts compare um, with their rubric scores or with their even their standardized assessment data to see. But I appreciate the effort to try to reward teachers because teaching is a very hard job and it complicates the situation when you look at, you know, all of the high stakes testing that has been put on educators over the last 10, 15 years. I think that the concept is awesome. Um, it's just, I think there's a, a bit more information that I would need, but I am not going to sit here and tell you that I am completely against it. Absolutely not. And and so it starts, the article kind of starts by saying that teachers in general make 80 cents on the dollar when compared to people with similar degrees. Um, so it, I guess the whole point of this article is to say like, how can we pay teachers more, you know, through this back door of performance, I, I think is really, uh, you know, the the catalyst of the, this discussion, which is awesome. So let me ask you this: I'm not sure if the article shares this, but it's a thought for you to kind of uh, mull over. For the rubric, are the sections of the rubric broken down by percentage? And this is why I'm asking: How much does the section about standardized testing and their testing performance? How much does it weigh? within that rubric. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And and it's not specific to the answer other than to say that it's it varies, I think, from grade to grade. It says and, and subject to subject. So um but for example, there's a part in the rubric that we know is about preparedness. Like I don't know what percentage that is, other than the fact that the rubric in its entirety is more than half. But preparedness is a key um domain for the success of a lesson, mm-hmm. because it's about be- really truly knowing your content, being able to differentiate for children. Um, that probably includes lesson planning and maybe, depending on the district or the state, how they operate within their professional learning communities, because that's about professionalism. So um, I, I think it's an awesome idea. And perhaps as they track it, they have made tweaks to the system, or perhaps that they will. Um, if we were to try something like that in Mississippi, I think we would have an equity issue um, off the right off the cuff. And so we would have to look at how each domain of that 19-point rubric is weighted. Let me ask you this. The, the, the piece of information that says data from before the pandemic indicates the district was able to retain more than 95% of its most proficient teachers. Would you say that in districts that you've served in, you all have been able to retain 95% of your best teachers? Is that... Or is no, that, sir. So... No. So, I mean, that this might be a silver lining to it then, mm-hmm. arguably. Um, arguably, but, um, you know, every district has its own culture and climate. Mm-hmm. Um, every district has its own set of circumstances that is trying to um, combat and improve. So it's almost it could 
you know, generally it would be apples to oranges, in my opinion. Now let's jump into DC. And it says when they rolled this out 10 years ago in DC, so it's been going on for a little while, it was highly controversial. Um, Mm -hmm. It says in DC, teacher quality is based on a teacher's instructional practice. There, a rubric looks at factors like student achievement and instructional culture. Also weighted are student surveys and teachers' contributions to the school community outside of the classroom, yes. which I like mm-hmm. in, in, a, in an inner city like that. I think that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also because some teachers just do this naturally. Like, you know, they go to all the games, they go to all the community stuff, and they get no They serve on committees, it, you know? they, and they accept leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, it's how you build relationships. So I think that's yes. good that that's being rewarded somehow. It says, teachers who wind up rated ineffective are almost always fired. According to the city commission study, which looked at data from 2017 through 2019, it says about 36% of teachers rated minimally effective and about 3% of teachers overall are fired. It says with another 16% leaving on their own. Um, It says DC public schools have been using the impact plus model for over a decade. And it also goes on to say that teachers have been eligible for annual bonuses up to $25,000 if they earn highly effective ratings on their teacher evaluations. That means a highly effective teacher in that school system can earn $1 million in bonuses over a 40-year career. So I'm distracted. I know we're supposed to talk about um, what I think about that, but right Mm -hmm. now I'm just distracted. Um, With the huge opportunity they have to supplement their base teaching salary. And so what I I would look for is what type of support and development is put in place to develop their teachers and to sustain their um, exemplary instructional practices. Um, I would look at exit surveys for those teachers who were deemed um, ineffective, what was put in place to help them grow. And I would also want to, just as a side study, I think that I would want to assess the pressure and emotional state of those teachers trying to earn that extra $25,000. And it says, still the evaluation system has been criticized by teachers and administrators as being subjective and contributing to a culture of fear in schools, according to the city study. And so this was a study just a few years ago, um, which also found that white teachers received higher evaluation scores than their black and Hispanic peers. Um, so certainly a huge problem. See, that's there. a whole another podcast episode. <laughs> right, you're right. Um, but it does go on to say that their system impact plus has led to a 93% retention rate among highly effective teachers in the district and a 94% retention rate among high performing teachers at the district's most impoverished schools. Um, so that's what they claim. And what impact has that made on their student achievement? That's a good question. There was an interesting line in here. It says, quote, we found that the teacher incentives created by the program only really started to change teacher retention and the teacher performance after the summer of 2011, when the first set of teachers who were minimally effective, effective twice in a row were dismissed, because then it was clear that the impact would be enduring. Um, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess it just sends shockwaves through the district is what they're saying. Um, well, I guess they don't have a teacher shortage and they have uh, whatever funding they're using <laughs> to provide the merit pay. So I, I, I'm just going to say they can do that. We don't have that luxury here. This is true. And it says the reason more districts aren't following D.C.'s lead are both political and logistical. Designing and implementing such a system can be a challenge. Perhaps the bigger obstacle to overcome are the political ones caused by local elected officials, administrators and teachers unions. Um, but you're yeah. right. And then just paying for it. Like that's that's a lot of extra money. Like if, if, if we have a bunch of teachers who are earning a million dollars in bonuses over 40 years, uh, that has to come from somewhere. So hearing all this. 
It troubles me. It troubles you. I'll I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I think we're getting away from the ministry of serving children and developing them to be prepared for the real world. And I, I worry that the teacher's focus, um, shifts from high quality instruction to meeting the indicators of a rubric to earn the extra money. And while being that type of exemplary teacher should yield an increase or sustain, sustain high quality performance out of their students, teachers still need to develop over time. We do not show up year one, two, or three and can say, I've arrived. I am at exemplary exemplary level. Absolutely not. Even yeah. leaders, we are to continue to grow and develop even as shifts occur within education. So it's not I, just it's, education, it's Christina. It's it's any job. I think everyone stinks at their job the first year, right? Like like if you're mm-hmm. really being honest, if you like go back and look at the first time you've done something, you know, it's hard, right? It take there's a learning yeah. curve, even if you've been to university for it. Um, I, I worry about the whole thing that a lot of people say, like culture of fear in schools, because it's subjective, right? Like somebody's mm-hmm. deciding this, and I don't know. I just feel like that that subjective measurement being attached to pay just can create lots of worries and problems and maybe putting too much emphasis in the wrong place. To, I agree. So that's that's kind of my general reaction to it. But that's why we have cities doing this as case studies and kind of to look back and, and see how they're they're going about it. The fact that DC has been doing it for 10 years is a little eye-opening that uh, mm-hmm. they're still sticking with it so far. So um, time will tell and we'll see if anybody else hops on board. It's an interesting discussion either way. Are you ready for today's Bright Idea? I am. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is helping schools replace detention with meditation. Andy Gonzalez is the Director of Marketing and Communications of Holistic Life Foundation. Andy's here to tell us about how they turn maybe what could be negative energy into mindfulness education. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure being on. Uh, you know, this program uh, has really gotten a lot of traction, it sounds like. And, and just from like even media coverage, uh, I've seen this uh, story on CNN.com and Upworthy.com. And what you guys are doing, it seems a little bit groundbreaking, but it also makes so much sense. And that is, it sounds like when maybe kids are having a, a bad day at school um, and they're headed into detention, rather than just sit them in a room, you guys are do a little bit more positive activity. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we have three of our staff members that are in the school every single day, the entire school day, and they're located in a room, which we call the mindful moment room. Some people call it the alternative suspension room, whatever it is. Um, but basically, they're in there all day long. So when kids get referred to us, they're there waiting for them to receive the students and to kind of go through that 15-minute session where we do the active listening, the breathing exercise and a meditation. So they're referred by the teachers in the elementary school. In the high school, you can self-refer. So you can raise your hand and say, I'm just, this is a little too much. I need to, I need to go to the mindful moment room. I need to get myself together. So the students can self-refer themselves and the teachers can refer the students as well in the high school. So, so what's the kid's reaction when they come in? Are they skeptical at first? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, um, it, it depends, you know, if the program is, is just initially, uh, put in place, then there is some skepticism. I think. I think some kids are like, "This is this is lame. I'm not into this hippy dippy stuff, flower power type stuff. I'm just breathing. Like, what's breathing gonna do for me?" Um, I think uh, in schools like in Robert W. Coleman, where we've been there for four years, in Patterson, where we've been there for three years now, um, you know, it's it, it's already kind of become part of the culture of the school. So it, you know, the kids kind of know what they're getting into, and they want to be there. You know. Um, an example of a, a great story, um, the principal at the school, 
um, and in, in the high school was saying how the other day, um, our staff sometimes, if they're not in the room, they might outsource themselves to other classrooms just to get engagement levels to increase or maybe just to check on a class and lead the entire class through a session. Um, there was one day where a young gentleman was going through crisis. He went to our room and our staff wasn't there. And he sat down on the floor and just started meditating in a high traffic area in the school where wow. the principal was like, like a few years ago, man, like that wouldn't have happened. Like that kid probably would have got smacked in the back of the head and made fun of for being on the floor. And now these kids are just walking by him and it's just normal because that's what they do in the school when they get themselves together. They, they know that this is part of the culture. We do meditation. We do breath work. We're, we're part of this mindfulness, uh, this culture that we're trying to start implementing in our school. And, and it, they kind of they're just used to it. It's part of the regular day. Um, kids, sometimes if they've never been in the room, there's a little bit of skepticism. But I think a lot of times kids just like to be heard. You know, I would say 70 to 80 percent of the time on the form, the teacher sends with the student saying why the kid is going down there. That's incorrect. You know, like I'll read on the form. Oh, so Mrs. Johnson said that you're here because of this and this. And the kid will be like, that's not really why I'm here. And then they start talking. And that's when we do our active listening. So we're we're not counselors. We're not counseling. And we're just sitting there. We're just giving them a moment to kind of vent, to get something off their shoulders, get something out of their heads, and just let us know that, hey, we're here to listen to you. What We understand you're going through something. Let us know. And I think that that lets them feel good. And then Usually, if they take the breathing exercise serious, it's it's the first time they felt that that sense of inner peace in a very long time. So I think that they feel they feel the, the they feel better. You know, they they feel what these practices do for them, and they love our staff because our staff are there just because like we're like, hey man, we're here for you. We love you. And I think that eventually it just becomes a, a safe and, and peaceful place for them to be able to go to to get a break from the school day. What are the uh, rules of confidentiality? Do you guys report back to the teacher and the administrator or is kind of everything that's said there, you know, between you and the student? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we try to make it as, as all the information as confidential as possible. Uh, we, we keep all of the um, papers on file after the kids leave. Um, our, my staff kind of takes notes on, Hey, you know, Johnny came in, he was going through this. Um, this is what I did. I led him to this exercise and through this exercise. We're hoping to see this type of improvement. And now, now, mind you, it, it, you know, like I said before, we're not counselors. If certain is if certain things pop up that's a little out of our pay grade, I guess is the best way to say it. Then we 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 have to report it. And, and there's that fine line because you, you need to understand that what we're doing is we're creating this relationship with the students where they do trust us. They do they do feel comfortable sharing things they wouldn't usually share with their teachers or maybe with the administrators. And we could try to keep that as secret as possible. But if it gets to something where, you know, where we feel like they're going to be physically harming themselves or there's something going on where it's like, you know, this needs to be reported. We'll, we'll let them know. We'll say to them, Hey, you know, like this is, this is too much. We have to take this to the authorities. An example would be that and one of the mindful moment rooms we had, there was an instance of human trafficking that was going on mm. and the student brought it to our attention. I mean, that's way, that's some serious yeah, that's stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had to let them know, look, hey, hey, we would like to keep this between us, but we can't keep this between us. Like something needs to be done here. Right. right. So, and the student understood, but I think it's just being very clear to them and letting them know, Hey, hey we're here for you. This is, this is as, as, as confidential and private as it can be. 
but you know, if it's something that's extreme or intense, we had to take it to the property. Well, and I think it says something that the student felt like they could open up to, to your team about that. Um, if you're an outsider and, and you're one of these people who, you know, when, when I went to school, we had to sit in a room with no windows and white walls. And, you know, when you were in trouble, you needed to be punished. Uh, this is just <laughs> kids having fun. Like, what's your what's your reaction to that? You know, because um, I remember that too. I mean, I was, I'm old enough to remember the days of like dunce hats and stuff. And right. Put the little hat on the kid, make him sit in the corner, stare at the wall type stuff. Uh, I mean, I just don't think that stuff works. I mean, you know, you, you have a child who's going through something and that's generally the reason for their behavior. You know, whether it's something at home, whether it's something internal, um, whether it's something basic as just basic needs that they're not receiving. Like I usually tell people about stuff like clothes and food and sleep. Um, they're going through something, right? So, so their behavior is a little off. And a lot of times their behavior, them, them, those outbursts are due to them trying to conceal what's going on at home. You know, if I make this outburst right now, no one knows about my home life. Or if I make this outburst right now, no one knows I can't read or I can't do math. So instead I'm just having this outburst to get in trouble. You know, they're screaming for attention. They're screaming for help. Right. So, you could punish them, right? So you, so Johnny is already having it, going through it, and then you, you tell him hey, you got to go to the office because your behavior is off. We're gonna we're, we're gonna give you a suspension. So now he's fueling even more, right? He's walking to the office. He knows not only has he gotten trouble in school, now he's gonna get in trouble at home. His home life already sucks. By the time he gets to the office, he's super pissed off. A kid makes a joke, it sets him off even more. He gets suspended for two days because he ends up fighting the kid in the hallway. He leaves to go home. And what does he do at home? Nothing to help him with, with future incidences like this. So we just saw that, hey, instead of you punishing a kid for something you probably don't even know what he's going through, why don't we let the kid talk and give him tools that he can use in the future when he's faced with these same incidences, when he's faced with adversity, when he's faced with stress or trauma or these things that they're bombarded by constantly, like give him something that maybe he can use. And, and we don't expect the child to use it right away. I mean, some do, but I mean, we have repeat students, you know, that come in all the time and we keep working with them. Hey, did you use the breath this time? No. Well, remember next time, why don't we try this breath? Maybe this will be something you can use. And, and, and at least instead of you just saying, hey, you're a bad person, you're getting punished. It's, hey, I know what you're going through. Life can be overwhelming. How about you take a moment, get yourself together and here's some tools when you're faced with this stuff that maybe you can use so you can constantly self-regulate because the key is letting them know that they are in control. You know, and that's a, a big issue with kids these days is, is them constantly doing the blame game. Well, Johnny said this about me or, or, or um, Tommy, Tommy pushed me or, you know, it's like, it's always somebody else did something to get that reaction out of them. And I always say to kids, well, so are they in control of you? You know, like, are they your master? Kids hate hearing that. Are they your master? Like, mm-hmm. they, because you're telling me that you did this because of them. Well, why don't you take it, take ownership and responsibility for your actions? Be your own. So you're in control. You're grown enough to be able to handle this. And I think that when they start understanding that type of concept and they start using the techniques that, that we're, we're providing them to be able to be more present, to be more mindful, to be more aware, that they can see that transformation happening within themselves. They notice it. I mean, for some kids, it's instantaneous. For others, it takes a little while. But the majority of the time, they feel, wow, this is pretty powerful stuff. I'm in control now. You know, I don't let people stress me out as much. I don't let people get me as angry. 
I don't let people let me make me get overwhelmed. I can be me all the time instead of allowing them to turn me into a monster. I always say I like the Hulk thing, you know, right. comics are big nowadays. So, that, so they don't turn into this incredible Hulk and they do or say something that they're ever going to regret, you know, five to 10 minutes down the road. As far as you know, how unique is what you guys are doing here? Are you seeing this elsewhere in the country or? Well, I mean, I think in terms of the, the room, I think it's something that, that, that we began uh, creating this, this concept of a room that you go to, um, during times of, of crisis throughout the day, you know, that at any moment during the day, you can go to this room. There are tons of other programs around the nation that are using very similar techniques in terms of the mindfulness concepts, the breath work, the yogic postures, all that. I mean, there's schools all over the place. There's, there's, you know, tons of organizations doing the work. I think that we separate ourselves um, really by the way we deliver the practice. Uh, a lot, of, I think a lot of other organizations have different ways of doing that. Um, you know, our teacher that uh, kind of got myself and the other two founders in the practice uh, did a very good job of, of explaining to us uh, about meeting people where they are, about making the, the practice practical, relatable, um, about using certain language depending on what demographic you're speaking to. So, you know, a lot of times I think people um, think that, that these techniques are like something that only it's like a luxury, you know, it's mm-hmm. only like with wealth are able to do where we, we explain that this, this, that this is achievable. These are reachable techniques that you can use. And it's more of a, like a survival skill. You know, like we're trying to give you as many tools in your toolbox to deal with this outside world. Cause it is overwhelming. Well, and you make a good, you make a good point. Do teachers ever come into your room and say, teach me, show me how to do this. I, I need this as a teacher. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, we make sure. So we learned, I mean, we do this for 18 years now. We learned whenever we go into a school, we always do the teachers first, first and foremost. So we'll do a professional development day or we'll do a training with the staff first because uh, you can't go and tell Johnny, hey, Johnny, hey, I see you're all a little overwhelmed right now. Why don't you do some breathing? Because then he'll say to me, well, why don't you tell Miss Thompson to do some breathing? Because she <laughs> just at me, right? You know, so so you, you got to make sure that uh, that you go to the staff first and so that they are they're reinforcing the concepts that they themselves are being mindful because then that trickles down to the students. You can't tell a kid to be mindful if the adults aren't being mindful. It just it never works. So we always make sure when we go into school, we do a, adults and staff first. Your organization's kind of blown up. And I just heard you say 18 years. Um, you know, how, how big are you guys? Yeah. So right now, um, our, our programmatic staff is somewhere around 40, 45. And then our administrative staff of people in the office is around 10, 10 to 12 people right now at this moment. And it's amazing. We started just with the three of three founders. Um, first eight to nine years, there's everything we did was for free. Um, and it was just us just, you know, pursuing uh, what we considered our, 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 our mission in life and, and uh, what the universe was kind of guiding us to do. Um, one of the most amazing things is when we first began in 2001, we had a group of 15 to 20 um, young gentlemen that we started with our first program ever. And around half of those young men are still with us. So they are now employed by us and our staff members. So when they go into schools and they're talking to a fifth grader and the kid's saying, ah, this and that, because the, our staff is like, you know, these guys, I've known these guys since the fifth grade and, and these techniques changed my life and they made me be a, a better person, stronger mentally, physically, emotionally. And, and that's why I'm here. I'm doing the same thing that these guys did for me. I'm doing it for you because I know it works. And that impact is just phenomenal. And, it, and it's great to see them as well, because if you if you look at them amongst their peers, 
they just stand out. It's leaders amongst them. And, and, and they would say to you, it's the practice. You know, this this saved my life. I'd either be dead, incarcerated or just doing nothing with my life. If it wasn't for this. And now I'm making an impact in my community and I'm empowering and uplifting my community to make it a better place. Uh, you guys are based in the Baltimore area. Um, if somebody wants to learn more, where do you recommend they go? Do you have a website? Yeah. So they can always go to our website. It's www.hlfinc.org. Um, send me an email at any time too. I mean, we're based out of Baltimore, but uh, we do programs uh, nationally and internationally. So our mindful moment program uh, will go into schools. A lot of times people ask us to come and help them start implementing something similar in their cities. And right now there's a room in Louisville. There's a room in Wisconsin. We have some in Somerset County, which is on the eastern shore. We're working on implementing in Buffalo, Charlottesville, Asheville, Boston. And we've even done tours in um, Germany, Austria, England, Scotland. And we head to South Korea in July. So we're all over the place. Well, uh, Andy Gonzalez, it, it sounds like you guys are doing incredible work. And, and I think um, most people listening would agree that, you know, this is really positive that you're trying to focus um, this energy into uh, into good. Heck yeah. I mean, everybody needs it. That's another thing that we always say to people, you know, um, especially social media, uh, the state of the nation right now, um, state of the world. Um, everyone at some point in time is a little bit stressed. And I think that uh, it'd be very beneficial to society if people just took a, took a moment in their days to just pause, uh, take a breath and to just be, you know, I always say to people, um, we are human beings. We're not human doings, right? So it's time for us to just take a moment and just be whenever we get the opportunity. to. Good stuff. Well, uh, Andy, are you ready for our pop quiz? Sure. Throw it at me and see what I got. All right. Uh, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Mindfulness. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Um, Self-compassion. Elaborate on that a little bit for me. Uh, So uh, realization of the self and learning to love yourself. When when one learns to love themselves, it's easier for them to be compassionate and empathetic towards others. What does every child deserve? Love. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Understanding where the youth are coming from. So knowing, you know, really understanding what's going on in their home environment and being able to relate to that and kind of put themselves in the shoes of the child and not making assumptions on, on their behavior based on um, them just having this wonderful home life where a lot of times I think what goes on at home really impacts what's happening in the school day. What's the best gift to give an educator? some form of mindfulness practice that they could use for themselves and then in turn use in their classroom, whether it be a breath, how to take a basic belly breath, or uh, whether it be just a meditation to still themselves for a moment. Um, you know, ter- teacher turnover and burnout in Baltimore City is, is unbelievable. Um, the, the work that they had to put in is, it's just, it's a lot. And they deal with so, so much. So if they can uh, be able to learn how to take a moment for themselves, I think it'll assist them with their students, and then they can start using that during their school day in terms of transition times before tests and quizzes to better um, manage their class and get them self regulate Which teacher changed your life? Does it have to be a school teacher? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I would say um, um, it's um, Ali and Atman, my my, uh, my business partner's godfather. I call him Uncle Will. He uh, 
he made me uh, kind of take my first step along the path and held my hand as I continued to walk it. And uh, I wouldn't be the, the man I, I am today without him. Good stuff. And last question, pen or pencil? Hmm. That's, that's a great, great, I write all the time and it's weird. My initial thought wanted to stay pencil, but I never write with a pencil. So I'm gonna go with a pen. All right. Andy Gonzalez, again, we appreciate uh, your time and we appreciate all the, uh, the great work that the uh, Holistic Life Foundation is doing. Really, thank you so much for all this. Um, um, appreciate uh, talking to you. Uh, just remind your audience, love is the most powerful force in the universe and Holistic Life Foundations loves all of you. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.